This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, it's Nicole here, and I'm so excited to tell you more about one of my favorite tools beyond the studio, Artwork Archive. I've been using Artwork Archive for years now, and it's been completely game-changing for me in the way I organize and keep track of my work. Artwork Archive is an all-in-one platform to run and organize your art career. It helps you catalog your artwork online, create an online portfolio of your work, send professional polished PDF reports within seconds, and so much more. Before Artwork Archive, I was manually updating PDFs with pricing or new images every time somebody reached out expressing interest in my paintings. It was tedious and time-consuming, and I could never remember which versions I'd sent out to which collectors or consultants. It is so easy now for me to share images of newly available work, to pull up records of all my sales, and to quickly at a glance see where my work is located around the world. If you're serious about growing a sustainable art career, then you need a platform like Artwork Archive to track and manage your work. It's the most cost-effective way to run a professional art career. You can get started for under $5 a month with our exclusive discount. Head to www.artworkarchive.com beyond. Hello. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are really excited to be speaking with Justin Anthony, one of the founders of Artwork Archive, which you may be familiar with because we have mentioned it many times on the podcast before. We have been working with Artwork Archive for a number of years, um, both through the podcast and then personally. Um, Myself as an artist have been using this platform for years now, and it has really changed um, the way that I organize my artistic practice. So I really have just Justin to thank for that. And we are um, really excited to have him on the show today. So Justin, welcome. Thank you. And hello. So I wondered if we could start off by going back in time just a little bit and hear some of the story behind behind some of the businesses that you've started. And um, I know that Artwork Archive is just one of many businesses you've been involved in. So I would love to hear a little bit about your path towards beginning to work with artists, um, what your your background has been in either art or business, um, and then how you came to start working on Artwork Archive. Sure. So both my co-founder, John, and I both have mothers that we're doing art for, you know, since we were born. Um, John's mother is actually a professional artist and my mom was always a hobbyist. So both of us have always been exposed to art from the get-go. My path uh, initially from a business standpoint came through the corporate world. I actually at one point was running the operations of, uh, the, the European operations of a Fortune 500. But all throughout any role I ever had, always had this equal mix of either working with something art-related, humanity-related, or something that had some underlying social good element. So uh, I actually met John through a previous startup. Um, He worked with me as one of the main developers on the project. We became friends. This was actually, Artwork Archive was actually a pilot project that he showed me when he was interviewing for the job. And 
the the origin of that for him is, as I mentioned, his mom was a professional artist, and she had been working for years recording things on her computer and lost a hard drive. And, you know, this was 10 years ago. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. And she lost everything, all her past sales information, all her inventory, everything. And I think that's something that a lot of artists can relate to. So when John was looking around for a solution for her, her that could, you know, help recapture some of this information and set her up for success in her business. Everything that was around at the time was basically a glorified spreadsheet. There was really nothing custom tailored to meet the needs of a modern day artist. You know, it was either this glorified spreadsheet or it was something overly complex or very pricey, um, but it was all really daunting. The other thing he noticed was every single solution at the time was a download only program, meaning it didn't give you access anywhere on any device. If you lost the hard drive like she did and you know, countless other artists we know did, you were stuck. There was no way to retrieve any of that stuff. So he really set out with the goal of creating a, a solution for a modern day artist, but mostly one that was simple and easy to use because one thing we of course found initially is while artists are uh, amazingly progressive with their creative thinking, the tech-savvy stuff may not always be be there. So we really worked hand-in-hand with artists from all around the world initially because through some of my nonprofit work and some of my work with local arts organizations, I've always been surrounded by artists and always worked directly with artists. One of the bars I'm associated with has had a free gallery wall for a decade, too, for local area artists to sell their works with. So I had this pool of artists that we could sit down drink excessively with and come up with creative ways to solve their kind of business solutions. We weren't looking to become the next online gallery or the next website producer for artists or anything like that. We really were drawn to this unsexy side that is of critical importance to an artist. So, you know, John's got much more of a software and development background and product background. I've got, you know, an underlying business background. He is much more an artist himself, and I've always been much more a collector of art, although I may be making my, uh, I aspire to make my artistic debut sometime early next year with my first gallery show, but we'll, uh, we'll see how that progresses. And then all the team pretty much has either, you know, are, are either working artists like, you know, Katie, who produces most of our content or art historians or things like that. Yeah, I'm really curious to hear in those early days of starting this business where you were um, developing this system based on conversations that you were having with a lot of working artists, um, what were some findings or did, did this change the direction of Artwork Archive in any significant ways? Um, like, I'm, I'm curious if there were any surprising insights from those early days that you were um, kind of uncovering about how artists were navigating that you know, business end of their practice. You know, I think we have a very user-driven design mentality, meaning as the product evolves, 99% of that product evolution comes from interaction with our users. Every single member of the company, including John and I, have to do at least a half hour of customer service a day. So that gives us the advantage of, one, always keeping our finger on the pulse of what people need, but two being able to engage our artists in conversations to find out what they genuinely needed. And I think when you start out in any company, 
you make a lot of assumptions about what your audience needs. And, you know, in our case, we had a really small subset of artists we work with initially, John's mom being one of them. And here's the viewpoint of this particular painter in this stage of her career. And so we built the solution based on that. What happened over time was really starting to get a better feel for what the common threads are with artists of all different disciplines, mediums, etc., and also what sets them apart. Because the needs of a photographer and the way they look at additions is sometimes going to be very different than what, you know, a, you know, a creator of, you know, one-of-a-kind original artworks are. And sculptors have different needs than, than painters. But there are some really common threads we found initially. And, and one was the business of art can be one of the most daunting aspects of an artist's career. And This encompasses all things from how to get started, incorporating your business, what legal documents are important, you know, all the kind of business basics to things as your career evolves, like planning for your legacy. So I think one of the things we took for granted and one of the things we certainly learned over the last decade is just how at least few artists at the time were accepting the fact that as an artist, whether you like it or not, you're an entrepreneur. You are a small business owner. Yes. And it's, it's really fascinating because when we poll artists all the time, there's this constant battle between desire and necessity. So the fulfillment largely comes from creative fulfillment. But then there's this underlying necessity of if I'm going to make a living doing what my, I love, there's a financial stability that comes with that. There's a financial necessity. You, you need to focus on some of those business basics to enable you to make a living doing what you love. And I think watching artists kind of battle through that and come to terms with that, a lot of this is born out of the fact that many art schools and traditional art education just doesn't prepare you for that. You know, they'll, they're outputting these fantastically creative people that know all facets of the creative process and yet leaving out, and this is not true for our, all art schools, but for the majority of them, there isn't a lot of priority or attention placed on the actual business of art, which is the very reason you have these artists saddled with this school debt and very oftentimes not practicing art two years after their graduation because they simply couldn't figure out a way to make a living doing it. So it's it's been super fascinating for us to just get a better feel for this entrepreneurial aspect, this business aspect of art, and, and trying to figure out how to make it more prominent and help people understand the importance of it. Because once the light bulb goes on, we see dramatic transformations in the career path of these artists. So it's like almost like an eat your vegetables type thing, you know, or like a go to the gym type thing. Like, you know, you feel better when you're doing these things that are good for you, but sometimes it's hard to get started. Yeah, you are definitely speaking our language here um, because I think that experience was really similar to Amanda and I's, you know, coming out of art school, trying to Mm -hmm. figure out what it meant to build a sustainable life as an artist and really led us to starting the podcast to have conversations with other artists about how they were making it work and recognizing that there was this gap in professional development. And so I think we're always really excited to talk with people that are really aligned with that mission um, and that have been able to develop this kind of bird's eye view around how artists are adapting and, you know, in, in what ways are they building sustainable careers 
And and what you're talking about now reminds me a lot of um, some conversations we've been having really recently too with, I'm thinking in particular, Amanda and I both uh, just read this book, The Death of the Artist by William Drezowitz, who we had interviewed on the podcast. And it really had to do with these higher level um, shifts, but also the kind of history of the the art world and the term artist um, at large and how this kind of entrepreneurial creative is is sort of an something new that's emerged within the last um, half a century or so and so i think it's it's easy to to overlook or kind of forget these kind of larger forces at play when we're so focused on just kind of building our individual careers but something i'm also really looking forward to talking with you about are um, are some of these trends that you're noticing and the ways that artists are incorporating business into their work and life through your um, work in developing this um, this tool to really help them do that so we love what you all are doing there. And I would love to hear from your perspective too, because it seems like the direction of, of your business has really been shaped by this. But what what are some of those fundamentals? Or um, you mentioned there being some common threads that you were starting to um, create tools around for artists, whether they're painters or photographers. In your opinion, w- what are some of those things that you think artists need to be thinking about if they are just getting out of art school and maybe haven't been getting some of this business education? There was so much there in what you just <laughs> said that my my brain oh, is no, scrambled sorry. now because there's there's so many things you hit on that I just, I get so excited about so many of the topics you just just touched on. I think, you know, one of the other reasons why we created Artwork Archive and one of the things that that we've noticed you talk about common themes is it is so daunting. The sheer volume of apps, tools, platforms, social networks, you know, what forget about the creative challenges that you go through as an artist, you know, what what physical tools to use, what canvas is the best, what paint works the best, you know, what sculpting material, you know, all those things are, are, are daunting in and of themselves, not to mention the imposter syndrome that so many artists go through. You know, yes. we, we have a blog and try to have this equal mix of some of those emotional, spiritual, academic conflicts that people go to, creative challenges that people go through, because I do think artists not only gain energy but also inspiration from other artists. So hearing people that are facing, hearing about people that are facing common challenges is great. And I think one of the reasons why we have millions of people reading that blog, because they are, they are, they're in the trenches with you. There are people that are experiencing those same things. And we talk just as much about success as we do about the challenges that people faced on the way there. So I think we created Artwork Archive in part to kind of put organization to the chaos. So a lot of artists, Katie, just the other day, and this is, she's going to be mad at me for admitting this, but so Katie is one of the, the, the main team members at Artwork Archive. Um, not only does she help write a lot of the content, but she's a ceramicist herself. Um, she helps evolve the product. She just the other day, after five years, received an email from a gallery saying, by the way, I still have some of your pieces here and have a check. What do you want me to do with these things? She didn't even remember that the stuff was there. So like my friends that were artists initially when we were starting this were invoicing people on post-its, were, you know, never knew where any of their stuff was, were constantly in this state of disarray, weren't doing any proper contact management. So first and foremost, we wanted to try to put organization to to chaos on all the simple things, the basics, where is your stuff? 
Who have you sold to when? If you're working with a gallery, which one of those galleries are producing what you know the most for you? And just really give a very basic set of tools to help organize that chaos. And then as things progressed, we really found through subsequent interviews and talking with artists, all of the wheel spinning they were doing, all of the time they were spending, not just doing like random admin tasks, but like if they had the right tools to begin with, they wouldn't be either regretting they didn't do this stuff from the start or having all of the problems and time sucks that come from not being organized, like scrambling around. So let's say a grant or residency was coming up where the heck is my bio or my statement? Like, where did I store this stuff? Like, none of them had a central repository to have all this stuff. So putting together very basic things turned into be a daunting process. So that became one of our major focuses. How can we help artists save time? How can we help them make How can we help make them look more professional was another main goal. Because if I'm sitting, so talking about the gallery, you know, even though it's, uh, you know, a gallery in in a bar and restaurant, you know, we still take that curation process seriously. If you come in and just drop a couple pieces of paper on this thing and like, here's a couple pictures of what I've done. It's a very different experience from when you come in and hand me something that's a professional looking report on, here's some of my works I think you might be interested in. Here's a bit about me and really put your best foot forward. It saves me time when I'm having to engage in that curation process, and it makes me think I'm dealing with a genuine professional. So like the main thought process in Artwork Archive is always governed by how can we help artists make a living doing what they love, and then these underlying themes are how can we help them save time so they can spend more time in the studio doing what they love, and how can we make them more professional? One of the biggest things, and I promise I'll stop rambling here in a second, but one of the other big things that's evolved is we have learned just how important. We just did a recent survey. You know, this one also had about 5,000 artists. And what we found is the vast majority of the respondents really felt that their artistic legacy was important and yet did nothing about it. So if you feel that both establishing and capturing your legacy are important, what are you doing to record that? What are you doing to track your exhibition history and how your career has evolved? What are you doing to show the progression of what you used to work on and how your art itself is involved or how your collector list has grown and things like that? So all these things that help eventually establish and capture your legacy, you know, as artists evolve, I cannot tell you how many times we have the conversation I wish I would have started this five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, because it's so daunting to capture after the fact. So in addition to that, put organization to chaos. In addition to that, like help them look more professional. We're also seeing legacy come up time and time again as a really important topic for artists because it matters. They they want their work to live long after they created it Um, and, and, and that their career to have meaning and for them to make an impact. So that's definitely something that, that, that we've been focusing on. Yeah, those things are just so important. And really, at whatever stage of your career, it sounds like this, I mean, this type of organization is, is really necessary. And I know we, we could all share stories about how we've you know been there where we wish that we would have had better documentation of a work that sold or we can't remember um, you know, where a specific work ended up. Or you double sold a piece. You know, you, you double sold a piece. You... 
entered something in an exhibit twice or you entered the same piece year after year. I mean, so many people have either, so much of our product evolution has been influenced by that oh shit moment. Um, you know, Deb Grosser, the head of the American Impressionist Society, was was sitting talking with us and started talking about the fact that she just kept, like, she had trouble remembering deadlines for submission dates and how many times have that happened to other artists. So we built a submission reminder schedule that just sends you an email and sends you notifications when you have those things due. So we can do the thinking so you don't have to because it's hard to keep track of all that, especially with real life and you know, a pandemic going on behind you. Yeah. 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 And it seems like the the prevention of some of these, you know, horror stories are, is one aspect of it, but also being able to spot real opportunity. I was just telling Amanda behind the scenes that, you know, something with, um, I think is true for a lot of artists, but as a painter, you know, the life cycle of your work can be much more long-term. It's not like I'm making something in the studio and selling it immediately. So there might be years in between where it is included in a show or it's loaned out to an art consultant or a gallerist. And then years later, it ends up selling. And so how do you kind of track the the lifespan of that work over time? And I love the the kind of um, reports or the income reports feature um, to be able to see like, okay, this year I made X amount of work, um, which is valued at this amount. But this year I actually sold more work, even though I haven't been producing as much. And just being able to sort of visually see those trends over time has really been eye-opening for me. And even noticing like um, relationships that I, I didn't realize were growing over time, but maybe an art consultant or a collector that I worked with five years ago that's actually bought one or two pieces since then, I didn't realize has had such a significant impact on my own career. So I think those types types of um, findings are so valuable for artists that, you know, if you don't have a central place to capture all of that, it's really easy to overlook. And I would never have thought to, you know, send an extra thank you note this year to that collector because they've been so important to, to supporting my practice. Okay. You just hit three things that I have to <laughs> hit okay. rewind on. Um, so Love it. you talked about the history of a work. So I'm taking my artwork archive hat on right now and, and putting on my favorite hat to put on, which is that of a buyer of art, of a consumer of art, of a lover of art. I can tell you, and and so this is a really quick aside, the other half of Artwork Archive's business is collection management tools. So we work with collectors and organizations, institutions around the world, both, both individual family estates, large organizations, hospitals, universities, et cetera, companies like IBM, et cetera, to help organize and manage their art collections, which means I constantly am in contact with people that are buying art. And I can tell you, themes that are common on that side are people love the story. Yes, there are people walking into galleries saying, um, my room is blue and I want a blue painting to match it. But way more often, people are buying with their hearts. People are buying because they're interested in the artist. Thing, so I just bought a work from an artist that I absolutely adore and I'm fascinated with. And I can tell you this purchase was driven as much by my fascination with her and her process and her origin story and all that and the description of the actual work than it was for my love of the aesthetics of the piece. So I think you hit on something that's really important that I wish every artist understood and appreciated, and that is the history of your work matters. People don't necessarily understand that 
provenance can dramatically impact value. If in my left hand I have, so in, in my left hand and right hand I have two identical works. My left hand I have no history, no documentation, no nothing. My right hand I have the entire history, what exhibitions it's been in, um, a story about what motivated the painting or the history of the painting. That thing in my right hand is much more valuable. That thing with the story is much more valuable. And it can trigger that buyer to make a decision or spend an additional amount of money that they, like, this painting was a real stretch for me financially, but I figured out how to get to do it because I fell in love with the story of the work and the story of the artist. So finding ways to not only showcase your work and the history of the work, but to share who you are as an artist is really important. You hit on something else, the, the business intelligence side of things. Um, and I'm going to nerd out just for a second. Um, we have, uh, you're, you're talking to me about like 2.0 type thing. That is an evolution that I think is really interesting to see artists go along that path to where data is actually helping drive your career decisions. So when you're looking at our analytics tool and see this gallery sells 80% of my work like is basically selling 80% of my work and this other one's only selling 2% of my work or something. It helps you identify where to pay more attention to. When you're looking at your production versus sales over time, it will help you spot trends um, that, you know what, I'm absolutely crushing it. I can't produce enough work to match the demand for my sales. I need to charge more money for my work. Mm. You know, there's, there's all these things that the analytics can help remove the emotion from it and help you make business or data-driven decisions. And I don't want that to seem off-putting to people. Like, I would say at least 50% of the artists that use Artwork Archive never even give it, get into the business analytics tools. They're, they're using it for those basic core features. How, you know, how do I organize myself? How do I manage all aspects of my business? And how do I share my work with others? Um, and then the last thing, basic business principles. You talked about collector, like managing that collector relationship, sending the note. One of the coolest things I think I've seen evolve from just watching artists, and this is not, this is just general trends, not so much artwork archive specific, but is the realization that some of those like OG techniques work. Contact management may be unsexy, but it works. Keeping in touch with your collectors. When I talk to some of our more successful artists, one of the main trend lines I see is they're sending regular communications to their collector base because a lot of their business is repeat sales. Yes, you're constantly trying to you know, grow that collector base, but I think so many times I see artists getting caught up in the hustle of which social media platform to use, how do I get more followers and all this stuff, which is kind of a necessary evil, but... In getting caught up with that, they're forgetting some of the fundamentals that really will lead to ongoing repeat sales and continued growth of their business. And by the way, those collectors that love you have friends. And those collectors that love you will tell your, their friends about, like, I want to tell everyone about this artist I just bought something from. So that's, you know, it's, it's something to, to think about. Nicole and I definitely love to nerd out on data. So any chance we get to, we're like, yes, tell us more. And we, uh, Nicole was giving me the tour of her artwork archive the other day so that I could see, because I work in the like craft maker side. So I, I exist in a very different art sphere. And the, as soon as she was showing me the like analytics and the data and it, it was 
very exciting <laughs> to me. And I feel like we talk about that a lot on our podcast. And I think that our listeners probably also come from that mindset if they're listening to us that they want to make informed decisions from how their practice is going to decide how their practice should be going and so being able to have as much information as possible and I was actually very (laughs) jealous and impressed because I was like damn this literally is all on one thing whereas in my side of the art world I'm having to go back and forth between like four different platforms to handle the various sides of my business and to be able to like actually have it all in one place and have all the data feeding into the same place is really helpful. So I, I was extremely impressed by that. So we, we can nerd out on data any, as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I do think it tends to be one of the more daunting aspects. You know, I think a lot of the times when people are introduced to Artwork Archive, it's, you know, we if you, if you looked at our user base, we've artists in over 130 countries, they're all evenly spread through emerging, established, and end of career. So it's it's really interesting because they all have very similar needs, but like that early emerging artist may say, you know what, I, I don't have enough work, or I'm not working with galleries, so do I really need a tool like this? But just like when you're getting starting out, like let's say as a painter, life is a lot easier when you have that right brush or the right canvas, or when you've discovered the tools that are kind of keys to your success moving forward. Established artists, things usually as the success ramps up, you need things that are going to help you save time, or you end up spinning your wheels, spending so much time playing catch-up or engaging in activities that aren't really moving you forward. They're just kind of maintaining status quo. So like anything we can do to take the labor involved in the actual business of art is something that, that that we really aspire to do. But, you know, you guys were asking before about, you know, trends we've seen in evolution. And for all the negative that has come from COVID, and there has definitely been a ton of negative, you know, if we, if we look at the recent survey we did on COVID, more than 50% of our artists lost at least half of their income as a result of the pandemic. All of our art gallery clients are trying to struggle for ways to, you know, stay viable, stay open when they have no physical presence. All the art fair companies we work with are unable to do these. And it's hard to take solace that everyone's in this together. If there is one positive or or a few positives that come out of it, one is I think a lot of people have realized the, the communal and kind of healing aspects of art. And then the other thing is it literally fast forwarded 10 years of evolution on trends in the span of one year. So if you were an artist kind of debating whether like, I know I should be online or I know I should have more of a digital presence, you likely got your poop in a group and started doing this with a a greater sense of urgency than you've ever had before because it was a necessity. If you were an art gallery and were, were kind of hesitating to make that transition to digital, you definitely found ways to do that. Art fairs are doing virtual exhibits. The other thing is there's been this really kind of cool overall evolution in technology on the whole in the art space because companies like ours, you know, we were, we were fortunately kind of almost built for the epidemic or for the pandemic because we already were simplifying those ways to, to, to get online, to share things digitally, to, to kind of simplify that. And that's both from an artist and, and from a collector standpoint. But even we had to adapt much faster than we normally would have to answer the needs of our artists. So 
one of the one of the main kind of it's not so much a pivot, but one of the things we kind of moved up on the level of importance or prioritization list this year was selling your work online. I'm going to try to not go on a tangent because I have some very strong feelings about just how detrimental that can be to an artist. One, okay, so super quick rant. I I think this is one of the biggest challenges artists face. It is so unbelievably daunting to wade through which are the best tools in this space, how to use them. What, you know, is it a service like an Etsy or you know, an online gallery, and then like, what are the trade-offs? Are they going to take a commission? I mean, it's so daunting. All the options out there. So, so finding the right tool for you is 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 very daunting. the The other side that that I promise not to go too far down the rabbit hole is is I do worry that this overwhelming push to sell your work online and to deliver that instant gratification leads to commoditization of art. If you are a mass market print seller that's doing postcards and coffee mugs and stuff like that, awesome. I think there, like, there's definitely a place for it. But if you're selling one-of-a-kind work and you look at the data across most sales of online work, even though Christie's and auction houses data skew this because they're starting to put some of their online auction data on there of these huge high-ticket items that drags this number up a little bit, the reality is most works that are sold online are at or below the $1,000 mark. So if you're, if you're someone that's evolving in your career and starting to sell higher ticket items, it's hard to get people to pull that trigger online. And I can tell you, I as a collector don't mind taking that extra step to get to know you. To like, I don't need a buy now and fill a cart out option. I want the opportunity to get to know you. I want an opportunity to get to know, you know, the process behind it or to get a chance to meet you or talk with you because I don't have a gallery to serve. Galleries aren't open right now. I, I don't have the opportunity to have any kind of face-to-face or any interaction with you. So like this buy now button, this instant gratification thing to me has, has commoditized some of the art world a little bit. All that said, there is such an overwhelming desire to have the ability to sell online that we wanted to provide a simple solution to our artists that, that kind of demystified and, and, and dramatically simplified that process. So we weren't going to do that till 2021. And because so many of our artists asked about it, we put forth an incredibly simple way to sell online and to be able to generate online digital invoices just because we had to satisfy that need. So this is a super long-winded version of me saying, I think it's great, like the positive side of COVID is it forced so many companies to evolve to satisfy their clients' needs or die on the vine. Yeah, and it seems like it all comes back to relationships in a way, um, like that storytelling aspect you were referencing earlier. It also, it's it's really interesting because I feel like we've had conversations with a number of others as well about the shifts that maybe, maybe hopefully will happen for artists that, you know, are going to come out of this really intense period of struggle that we're in right now, but that, you know, the, the art world before the pandemic wasn't really set up to be entirely supportive of artists to begin with. So just the kind of hierarchies that existed maybe between arts organizations or institutions and artists themselves, you know, weren't necessarily the the most supportive of artists always. And so um, just kind of looking at, you know, what what this might do and that we're all facing this level playing field and how, you know, how artists really, it seems like a 
a double-edged sword because there is sort of an opportunity to have more agency over our own careers, um, but it also is out, born out of the necessity that you were talking about and the real challenges we're all facing. But that's such a, like, you make such such an excellent point. I, I really think if you look at the traditional world, you go to school, you get gallery representation, and that's how you succeed as an art. Like, there was such a kind of this universal linear path that like everyone thought they had to follow. And I think as time has progressed, people realize that that's not a one size fits all solution that you can succeed outside that. Um, and, and I think, you know, you, you you talk about the kind of legacy art world, like, and it's, and it's as much pre pandemic as it is just, I think a natural evolution over time. It was almost like this black box. It was like this, members only club it seemed exclusive and i think there's been this much broader kind of democratization of the art world which i love it so it's made art more accessible like collectors have more ways to discover artists than they ever have before and artists have more ways to get in front of collectors than they ever have before there are very few there is definitely a subset of collectors that purchase art from a purely monetary investment mentality, but the vast majority, the vast majority, and I deal with collectors every day, still buy based on passion, based on love for the work, based on, you know, that, that artist's story. You know, it is, it is you know, the, and, I, and I think they now have so many more ways to discover art and so much less pressure to conform to that previous path and going back to this kind of democratization of the artwork archive um, and and you talked about agency one of the things we love with what we're doing is giving artists a way to take charge of their story like this is a platform that provides broader access to everyone to share their story not just via the museums and to those in power everyone on artwork archive can activate their public profile everyone can put their story out there everyone can share their works and and i love the idea of providing a platform that simplifies that. And, and other organizations have kind of done similar things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm involved with a, a number of art nonprofits myself, and this year really caused us to wake up and say, and reprioritize how we allocate dollars, rather than it be to a specific subset or finite amount of established art organizations, we completely retooled our grant giving process to be a much more broad service, like broad grant servicing a much greater and more diverse makeup of artists. You know, giving you guys kind of a sneak peek on something we haven't told anybody about yet is we are actually going to be doing a grant program, starting a grant program with Artwork Archive. Um, and, and it's really in its infancy right now. But what I can tell you is while there will be a financial curriculum and kind of platform component to it, there's a few things we're going to be doing differently. One, we're not going to have this incredibly high bar where you have to be meet all these kind of unrealistic, only the select few can like meet these standards criteria for participation or for eligibility or for any of that. Um, we, we really want to have this broad representation of the art community at large and then two, um, while we will only be giving, the, the financial component will only apply to those that are selected, like, like the actual grant recipients, every single person that applies, we're going to open source the curriculum with. So this grant will be very specific. They're going to be unrestricted funds. 
I'm not going to tell an artist that you have to do it for this next project. It's not going to be, we're not commissioning pieces. We're not trying to force an artist's hand to do something. We understand that you paying your studio rent is just as critical to the success of your career as whatever else you spend. I don't want to dictate how they spend it. So it's going to be pretty cool and we hope pretty unique um, and really focused on acting as an accelerant. So if you're an emerging artist, kind of helping you establish yourself. If you're an established artist, helping you you know accelerate that, that next phase in your career and kind of unapologetically focused on the business of art. You know, we toyed with the idea of doing some impact grants because all of us are really active in various kind of social aspects of the art world. Arts and healing is huge. You know, I don't know how much you guys know about that story, but, you know, one of our employees has has a child that's had some very serious health issues and the role art has played in her healing process and and, and the, the way she's worked with her child. Um, we work with tons of medical institutions and hospitals that have amazing arts and healing programs. So, you know, that's a huge passion for us. But there's so many great causes out there that we couldn't really narrow it in on one. So we chose when we were talking about what we we're going to do for this grant thing, we chose the thing that all of us are equally passionate about, which is helping artists make a living doing what they love. So this is really going to be a business-focused kind of grant program with a curriculum attached. Wow, that is really incredible. And I hope other arts organizations are taking note here because um, we had done an episode earlier in the summer too, just about mutual aid efforts um, that were being coordinated by artists, supporting artists, um, but also arts organizations like Artist Relief, um, you know, a coalition of national nonprofits that group together to extend their um, ability to make grants, direct grants to artists in response to COVID-19, which is all really wonderful. But um, we're also, we're thinking about the the longevity of some of these. And is this just in direct response to um, this crisis that we're facing this year? Or are these longer term initiatives that, um, you know, are sustainable that will, will can really start to impact the the infrastructure of the art world in the in a long-term way so that's i i hope it's the latter but i mean that's a that's an awesome question i so well just to say it sounds like you all are really doing that and thinking about it in that way so it's really exciting well and we want to bake it into we want to you say is is this just a direct reaction and it's going to be a short-term you know salute you know uh Haiti has the you know environmental crisis they have the humanitarian crisis they have everyone gets very excited about it there's tons of donations and then no one hears about it for a while so they had such a significant drop off the the problem didn't end the needs didn't end but the kind of energy and and awareness around it ended so i think you ask an excellent question are organizations and you know our institutions in general going to make this part of their long-term plan? You also mentioned it's been amazing. If you ever want to consider yourself blessed, look around at the way artists have been helping artists. This amazing like like commu- like groundswell of community support and how many like artist helping artist funds that have been created. Is this something that's only going to apply to the pandemic or are these things that are repeatable and and sustaining? You know, what we asked ourselves internally when we were talking about this grant program is we're not interested in doing kind of a one and done. Yes, there's an experimental aspect to this because we've never done a grant before. But if we're going to do it, how can we create something that's repeatable that's going to have long-term benefit 
which is why we really felt strongly about having a curriculum aspect to it. Because with the curriculum, these are going to be tried and true business practices that will arm artists with the tools they need to be successful that have stood the test of time, you know, certainly over the last decade we've been around and we're incorporating things that we believe will hold true for the next decade at least. So, you know, how can we be smart when we're putting this together that it's not just going to be a flash in the pan and then we're forgetting about you? You know, the other thing I think, and I'm taking Artwork Archive hat off and putting my nonprofit hat on, the other thing we've kind of had with, with some of the board meetings I've had lately is this Come to Jesus meeting where we're having, you know, the challenge I put to any board member is are you doing this for the optics or are you doing this because you believe it will have genuine value on the people you're serving? And so it's going to be really interesting to see which organizations are still engaging in this type of behavior when the camera crews leave, when it's not a PR opportunity, when they're not putting a press release. You know, it'll be interesting to see because those are the organizations that should get props because they're doing it for the right reasons versus just, you know, to, to get some media hype. Yeah, well, what's also great is that redistribution that you're talking about um, of resources, of funds, and it seems like traditionally a lot of grant making has been really focused on, you know, specific organizations, um, and really the number of grants for independent artists is, has grown, but, you know, is still not um, as much as those that go directly towards nonprofits or other arts organizations. So how, how to create a really equitable support system for artists through, you know, redistributing resources across a, a wider spectrum and kind of lowering, lowering the barrier to entry. And so um, I think those are some of the things that are, are especially exciting about what you're describing, because um, it does seem very much in the spirit of those mutual aid efforts where it's not, you know, let's take a large sum of money and put it towards a small concentration of of artists or organizations, but, you know, how can we spread that out to really give um, as many people that the boost that they need in, in the form of the financial support, but maybe more importantly, the education. Right. And I, and I hope, you know, I, we definitely hope the education aspect of this, um, as well as the platform aspect of this, you know, has the, the impact we want because, you know, as an organization, you do have a finite amount of dollars. You, you, mm -hmm. you know, you can't, you know, we have a limited amount of funds to distribute, but we can really put our resources, dedicate them to creating what we think are really important learnings over this last decade and, and, and get those in the hands so we can impact a much greater, you know, amount mm -hmm. of artists. This conversation also seems very much in the spirit of um, an event that Amanda and I attended earlier this year, um, put on by Art World Conference about defining value and defining values in the art world. And when you were talking about um, the importance of storytelling um, for artists, but also the the value the value that artists bring to to this moment in time and and to our our lives and our world in general, um, it really made me think about that event and this kind of re-examination that we're all doing of, you know, what what is the importance of art and, and of artists in our lives and how are we really demonstrating that through through where we're putting our money or through, um, you know, how we're supporting people in our lives. And so I, I was thinking earlier, this is kind of circling back to um, something you had said, but one of the other reasons why the art world seems so difficult to navigate for artists is, is this relativity of value. 
And um, so it was really interesting hearing your perspective as a collector and as somebody that works with collectors, um, that there are things that you can do as an artist to contribute to the perceived value of your work um, through storytelling and through sharing the history of their work. And so I just was wanting to point that out for listeners because I feel like that was one just small takeaway of how, you know, we can start to um, to generate more support for our work through, you know, simply sharing and being being a little bit more open about the, the story behind the work and and sharing ourselves. Well, and about you and, and not, you know, it's yeah. not just, yeah. yes, the story about the work is important, but I'm, I'm just playing through my mind the last things, you know, my my wife and I have purchased. All of them have been driven by, I don't want to say like people we've met and fallen in love with, because that sounds almost too dramatic, but it is kind of true. Like this is in the before time, you know, when you can actually interact with people. But, you know, we met this one artist at like a local arts event and so cool, so thoughtful about her process, so interesting and totally geeked out about what she did. So I don't care what this artist was going to make next. I was buying it. It didn't matter to me whether it didn't, like I was going to find a place for it in my house. And I just wanted to give them money to continue to do the crazy stuff they were doing. So I, you know, the, I, I think when you put a piece of art out there, it's already so daunting because you're like giving birth to something and putting it out there for everyone to judge and see. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard. And so many of my artist friends are introverts. So it's really hard for them to find ways, you know, to interact with others, to tell their story. But to the extent that you can take those steps as an artist and give people more insight into not only the what you've created, but, but insights into why and who you are. And like, I do think stories matter. I don't think I'm unique in my belief on this. Cause as I mentioned, like I am every day, I am talking to collectors from all around the world. And it's so like one of the most common theme when I ask, why did you buy this piece? It's rarely because a financial advisor told me this was a good investment. It's, I ran into this person at the gallery or I saw this at a particular place. Finding ways to get your art into non-conventional spaces, you know, outside of art fairs, outside of galleries, you know, finding ways to do that. You know, this is why, this is a super quick aside, but I think in a whole nother podcast, we could talk about the idea of street art. I happen to be really involved in the, the, the street and mural art culture and I'm involved in one of the larger mural fests in, in the, the country. And one of the things I have found incredibly fascinating is this journey from studio artists to the street and street artists to the studio. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen studio artists dabble in street art or mural art, things that are public have been discovered that way and end up having an insanely lucrative studio career. Similarly, I've seen the transition go the other way. You know, that's how they got noticed and they're making the transition to the studio because they found that they can be equally creative in that, you know, whatever medium they, they settled on. And I, we have some incredibly famous, well-known artists that use our platform that are straight up like old school graffiti writers that have just like watching their evolution to doing, you know, quote unquote, fine art has been amazing. And then seeing those people that 
we're locked into this very studio regimented state of mind, just blow up their creativity on a wall outside or from collaboration with artists that are outside their own particular discipline, you know, that's where I've seen some of the most evolution. Um, we, we've got an artist here named Detour um, who's starting to do some really large scale, scale murals all over the country, being commissioned everywhere, for, like going from kind of like a well-kept secret to doing huge projects for Lululemon and things like that. Um, it's been amazing. I, I think he would have his own opinion on what the origin of his success is because I think he's one of the most clever business-related artists I've ever seen. But he's also done a phenomenal job at leveraging that outdoor exposure for, you know, more traditional commissions and, and, and things like that. And it's, it's, it's been really cool. So that's definitely uh, this kind of merger of, um, I think when you expose yourself to other artists and kind of blend those creative processes, it's amazing what you learn from that interaction. I am really going on random tangents here. No, it's all great. And I think it just, whether it's creatively or more on the business side, just thinking about developing, looking for opportunities to to step outside of your comfort zone, but also outside of the silos that you normally work or operate in and look for kind of different or new contexts for your work um, in order to connect with a, a wider audience and and open up you know new possibilities creatively but I think that's that comes up in talking with artists about you know developing diverse income streams for their work but also just opening up different creative avenues and so yeah I think just being able to kind of move fluidly between between these different spaces or different types of projects, I get pushback. I get pushback from artists on that sometimes with, you know, that's a luxury we don't have. Like I I don't have that luxury of time. And and my my pushback to them on that is th- there is no question, you know, I'm thinking of a- another local artist that does these vinyl sculptures. He can sell those all day every day. He does not love doing them, but they are so immensely popular that he can't stop doing the thing that's basically putting food on his table. Similarly to some of our fine art photographers that have to shoot weddings to pay for their exploration or evolution in the fine art. Um, I, I, I totally understand that there is, there is a need to do things that you know are producing for you. At the same time, I find there's kind of immeasurable benefits that come from pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. So whether that's you're building up your network, you're meeting new collectors, or the evolution of your own creative skill by, you know, every time, you know, you know, I mentioned I'm, I'm thinking about at least attempting to do a show next year. Um, my problem is analysis paralysis. Like, I am so enamored by all these other creatives that it can be difficult because every time I think I'm going down a path, I see someone else doing something varied and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I could work that aspect. So as much yeah. as it's, it's kind of uh, stifling me right now or making this project take longer, I think what the end product is going to be is going to be something that I'm that much more invested in or that much happier with because I got to incorporate these other aspects that I've been inspired by. So I think, yes, it can be, it, it, it can, it can be somewhat stifling. It can, it can, impact the creative process. It can take more time, but I do think the benefits in the end are far outweigh any of that. Yeah. I wanted to hear a little bit too about, um, and you've been talking about this throughout just your perspective through running this business, through working with artists from the collector side. 
working with collectors and arts organizations, I feel like you just have this incredibly unique vantage point of kind of straddling all these different aspects of the art world and um, really getting these deep insights into, you know, what's, how are people navigating this and, um, you know, what's important to them and what do they value um, in order to bring that back into developing um, your business. And so I'm curious for, you know, our audiences, pr- primarily artists, um, but also arts professionals and people working on these different facets of the art world. But as you all are looking ahead, I know that this is kind of a pivotal moment for a number of reasons. Obviously, we're kind of at the tail end of 2020 here. So there's a lot that's changed that is impacting the art world at large. Um, But kind of within your business, um, that Artwork Archive just passed its 10-year mark. You all have been in business for a while now, um, learned a lot of things and are looking ahead. So what are are some things that you're... um, in addition to what you've already mentioned, like the grant making initiatives and um, ways you're branching out to um, to expand uh, business education, that your um, kind of shifts that you're hoping to to see within the arts at large, within the arts at large, or what what we plan to do at Artwork Archive relative to those? Maybe a little bit of both. I think it would be interesting um, because I know you all have been. Um, in constant conversation with artists, collectors, arts organizations. Um, so what are what are some things that you have been noticing most recently um, since this kind of acceleration you've been describing? Um, and then maybe what are some of the ways that you are um, starting to adapt? So I think at our core, so we just recently had kind of the, we, we, we do the end of the year planning in two phases. So we we, we have a first run where we kind of review the last year, what our learnings were, what worked, what didn't work, um, what we feel we could do better on, etc. Uh, and then we have the next phase, which in this particular case is going to be um, Friday, uh, which is in a few days where we talk about, okay, we've taken those learnings, how do we apply them now? So I think some of the dominant themes to the learnings were the landscape that is before artists has never been more complex. And I know I'm, I'm getting a bit repetitive here because we covered this a bit in the in earlier, but there have only been more and more tools, more and more programs, more and more avenues for artists to kind of explore um, that I think it's more daunting than ever and more challenging than ever to be an artist. Because whether you like it or not, as I mentioned, you're an entrepreneur. You have to be a marketing professional, an accountant. You know, uh, th- there's so many aspects and so many different hats you wear that I think one of the, I wouldn't say big realizations, but one of the things that we kind of affirmed this year is this is more true than ever. So we are really kind of doubling down as a company on this goal of simplifying the complex. So we really are going to you know, continue to focus on, you know, I think Amanda mentioned the, all the different programs that one can use or has to use. We're going to try to simplify that. We love this idea of being the central repository for all things art career. So if we've had tools where we were relying on external, like, oh, you can just do this and edit it in Word later, or you can do this, but you'll have to edit it in Photoshop later. Every opportunity we have to make things that can be contained in the product and save you time. So a great example of this is a lot of artists are displaying digitally now, and 
wanting to give people the ability to see things offline or, or online as well after they've you know interacted. So we're incorporating, you know, giving artists the ability to use QR codes. So you now don't have to use a third-party program to generate your own QR codes. You can generate them right in the system. And that helps institutions, too, for a number of inventorying reasons and things like that. But I'm going to try to keep this focused most on kind of artist things. We, I mentioned legacy and the importance of legacy. You're going to see more reports over time that are really more focused on the provenance of, of a particular work and the history and telling that story, like giving you more tools to, to tell the story of that particular work. In general, as a company, because we love this idea of the democratization of the archive and, and providing more accessibility and exposure to artists, we're going to continue to focus on ways we help artists not just showcase their work, but share who they are as an artist. Finding easier ways to connect them with the tools they're already using. So, man, if it's super hard to figure out what tool you should use for your website or for your newsletter or anything like that, once you've made that decision, you don't want to change. So how can we tie into those existing things, like a MailChimp, like a WordPress, like a Squarespace, so it can save the double work for you? So, you know, we're really just kind of doubling down on themes we were already kind of leaning into. Also, I would say there's absolutely no question, and this is across artists, organizations, collectors, the, the desire to be online, to have digital tools at your disposal, trying to facilitate the sharing with third parties. So if you're an artist, how can we make it easier for you to get your information in the hands of that grant administrator? someone who's looking at you for a residency, a gallery you might want to have representation from, or a client that wants to see more of your stuff. Like we created the whole idea of creating our virtual, like our digital viewing rooms or the virtual galleries we're doing is because now you, with a few clicks of a button, can create a viewing room for a client that can't come in and see your work physically. But this gives them a more dynamic experience. So we're just really trying to focus on, I, I would say, 2021 is going to be an 80-20 year for us. 80% is going to be doubling down on the things we know are working and trying to get better at them. And 20% is going to be keeping our eyes open for those ever-changing you know, landscape things and themes. I personally, as Justin, don't believe we're going to see a return to normalcy, and I have air quotes to normalcy, um, in, in, until the fall of next year. And I think there are going to be some trends that return to normal, but I also think this pandemic has, is going to have long-lasting change on industries that will never return. You know, I think people yeah. will continue to work from home. I think people are going to continue, like a lot of us have gotten used to this ability to interact with things digitally. That's not going mm. to change. So a lot of these trends that we've seen born out of the pandemic, I think are going to continue on. And we want to make sure that we have a tool that evolves along with that because I don't see that changing. I don't see 2021, you know, everyone's vaccinated and all of a sudden everyone's got art fairs again. Galleries are back open. You know, everyone's gone back to the same kind of tried and true methodology. I, I don't see that happening. I think a lot of the changes that have happened, a lot of the adaptations that have been made, I think are long-term in the sector. Uh, and, and we want to make sure we're continuing to stay pace or keep pace with that. Yeah, I think that's a question that a lot of us have right now, which is just what what will this all look like for us at the end of this year, next year, the following year, um, you know, and it really doesn't feel like we are 
going backwards or that, you know, the, the kind of world that we, that we lived in or the, the way that um, our lives as artists or that the art world looked prior to um, 2020 is, you know, the one that we'll be returning to, but we're really kind of on the brink of something that is, is evolving and is going to look a little bit different. The, the slight, the, the slight conflict with that, and, and this is, we're always at war with this kind of internally is we love evolution. We love keeping up with the times, but at the same time, it is very easy to get caught up in the never ending kind of changing tide and feeling like you're behind and forgetting that there are absolutely core business principles that are critical to your success that have nothing to do with evolution or the, like, this is one of the things that I think is really hard. It's so easy. And I see this all the time with artists. How do I keep up with this next thing? A a new tool comes out and uh, Instagram comes out and everyone freaks out. Like, oh my gosh, how do I have a presence on here? What do I do? Yeah. (laughs) Do I need to be on TikTok right now? I don't know. (laughs) Right. TikTok. Oh my gosh. I am seeing this artist friend of mine have incredible success and exposure and their audience is growing on this and they just got a sale on this. How am I not on this platform? And it can be it's like like dogs looking at squirrels out the window, you know, it's just squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And it's all very exciting and could, you know, I, I'm not saying these tools aren't valuable, but I'm saying what I, if, if just to go back to common themes we see with some of the most successful artists on our platform, absolutely without question, they are not those that have prioritize being the next greatest Instagram, you know, getting the next, you know, mm-hmm. highest Instagram count, you know, and followers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really artists that have focused on core business principles and core best practices that just work regardless of what your um, avenue or flavor of, expo- you know, whatever you've chosen as the kind of tool to do it. I think it's it's important for artists to have that balance between focusing on those core principles and best practices that drive success and kind of easing in those things that are the shiny new toys. Without question, collectors are using Instagram to discover artists. Like Instagram is a thing. So, you know, if you're asking me which which trends that have emerged have or like which platforms have really seemed to gain market share or I share or things like that. Like Instagram, I think is, is definitely yeah. something that a lot of artists have seen success on, but for every Instagram, there's been 20 other things that people have gotten all wound up about that amounted to nothing, but you know, spinning your wheels. Yeah. We just um, had a conversation the other day with an artist that I guess we'll be releasing the episode tomorrow as of when we're recording this, but not when it's released. But, uh, and then we're talking about how so many of their sales and collections lately have kind of been connected through Instagram. And it's it's always hard to tell with social media because you never know how long something is going to last and how impactful it's going to be on your career and how helpful it can be or if it's going to be like a time suck and a distraction. But I think anything that we can use as artists to help streamline the more less sexy business practical side of being an artist is going to allow us to have more time and hopefully more resources because we know more of what's going on to be able to devote to our art making. So I I think that's obviously a very common theme here and and something that Artwork Archive can definitely do for artists and and help provide that sort of simplicity. Uh, Is there anything that we 
haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure to mention um, or kind of end on or or whatever? I don't even know if this is, uh, like, you, you just made me think of an analogy, and I don't even know if this is worthwhile cutting in, but just as we, well, just as we as Artwork Archive, are, like, we exist to serve our customers. The way we continue to grow and better serve our customers is by soliciting feedback from our customers to find out how can we improve, how can we do better. Similarly, I think I would encourage every artist to talk to people that are not your relatives that have already that, that have bought from you in the past and ask them, yeah. hey, what what made you buy that? Hey, do you have any other friends that are collectors? Where are they looking for things? Like solicit that feedback and educate yourself because that doesn't mean you're having to do direct overt selling. Like you already have a relationship with that buyer. That's already a warm lead. That's already someone who you're already interacting with. So you may have a greater level of comfort. And that's where you're going to find, you know what? I've got this art group, like this collector group that I hang with that I'd love to show them. Like next time you're doing a show, shoot me a quick email on that. Like it doesn't have to come from a social media platform, which is not to say those aren't viable. But like I think it's so tough, especially when Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram were kind of in kind of like on even levels with each other, you know, in terms of like, oh my gosh, here's three things and blogging. Like I need to have a blog. I need to be on this. Pick maybe one or two that you seem to be getting the best results and just really focus on giving that your most effort. Um, But I, I, I like the idea of artists not hesitating to solicit feedback. You, you know, you ask your customers what they like, why they buy and the more you educate yourself on that topic, the better you are going to be able to serve those customers and expand those customers. And collectors all have friends. Like, as I mentioned, this, this work I bought, I will tell every friend the story about this artist. Like, anybody who comes in my house, I will bore them to tears over why this person is so rad. So, and, and I am not unique in that. I don't know if I have any kind of, uh, any profound <laughs> ending. I, I think... If anything, you know, we're really grateful that for this opportunity to talk about Artwork Archive. Um, we think you guys obviously lend an interesting perspective, not only because you have such a broad audience that can be impacted by this, but also because you've used the platform and, and can speak about it in a way that's different than, than others. It's much easier to talk about something that you're using on a day-to-day basis. But no, we, we really appreciate the opportunity. You know, we, we love what we do, we all consider ourselves super fortunate. Um, this year, probably more than ever, because everyone's kind of like we've never felt a greater sense of community. Uh, mm. And yes, yeah, it's been it's been so motivational and so uplifting that it's been easy to kind of keep our spirits up throughout a year that everyone's struggled. Like it's been incredibly daunting to us from an economic standpoint because. You know, if if our main client base is suffering, you know, we are. If arts organizations are having their funding cut and collectors aren't making the same amount of acquisitions, like it's all, like everyone is is impacted by this. And it's been really great to feel this sense of community and support and, and have it be kind of bi-directional. So we're, um, yeah, we're really uh, grateful for that. Yeah, it's been really refreshing to talk with you too, um, because I think, especially in this time where it feels like, 
you know, we're kind of hurtling forward at light speed and so much is outside of our control. Just this kind of reminder uh, to, to go back to basics in a sense that, you know, really at the root of, um, of so many other artists' successes uh, are the relationships and the storytelling and the community aspect of it. Um, I think is so, it, it's, it's such a great reminder. Pump your, pump your brakes. Like this is the rainy day that no one ever knew they were going to have for a year. You know, this is the, it's given people time to focus on aspects of their career. Like think of the normal pace of life and how frenetic it is. Like this is really, you know, been kind of a, I don't want to say a calm in the storm because there is so much, you know, chaos that's come with it. But like the reality is there is more bandwidth to be able to kind of go back through some of those basics and, and, and focus on those and, and, and incorporate some of those best practices. Like rather, I, I'm telling you, the, the people that are going to be successful out of this are not the people that threw their hands up and said, oh, my God, there's nothing I can do. Like and, and felt defeated. Um, it's so easy to give into that. Those that are going to be successful out of this are those that used it as an, I've looked at it as an opportunity. Like that despite all the noise and despite all the, the despair and the election and every, you know, all this outside noise really focused on the positives and the fact that this is an opportunity to get my stuff together and emerge from this in a much better position than I came into it with. And yes, it's going to be a lean year for everyone, but this is the time to innovate. This is the time to, to, to shore up your foundation so that you emerge from this in a much greater position, setting yourself up for success. Thank you so much, Justin. This has been a really wonderful yeah, conversation. Um, and I can say personally, um, obviously, I've been using Artwork Archive for years. It has made such a huge difference in my own practice. And um, especially over time, I feel like the benefits just grow. You know, you get started and it's sort of great to have something to track your work. But just going back to that, hist being able to capture the history of your work over time is is so, so valuable. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, but even more than just building a tool for artists, I think the the sort of shared mission um, and being in, in such alignment around what, what you're really trying to do for, for artists in making their lives and careers easier and, and creating these support systems um, is we're just really um, excited to see it and grateful to have been able to hear about what's coming up next. So thank you for all the work that you're doing uh, for artists. Yeah, and thanks again for the opportunity and all that you guys do for the art community. Absolutely. And of course, if you want to sign up for Artwork Archive, you can do that at artworkarchive.com uh, slash beyond and um, be sure to check it out. And thank you again, Justin, for coming onto the podcast. Thanks. Have a great day. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. 